Well, good morning. Welcome to Zion on the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. Before we begin our worship, just a few things to share. Uh, first is a big thank you to everyone who made our service project possible yesterday. Uh, we were able to give away a lot of clothes, able to give away a lot of non-perishable foods to folks who need them, able to serve lunch to folks in the community. So special thank you, especially to Mary and Jean and to Laura and to Charlotte, who worked much of the day here to make all of that possible. Also thanks to Walt and Barb, uh, thanks to Silas who helped move tables, and everyone who brought in food, cookies, brought in donations. Uh, thank you for making that possible and for us to be able to do something good for our community. Uh, with that in mind, we did have enough food left over that we're going to be serving lunch following worship today. So feel free to stay after to eat with us, or if you'd rather take something that's there at home, you're more than welcome to take anything with you and take it home with you, and you can go over and see what's there. Um, please take some food. We, we would love for you to have it. Uh, Reminder that October newsletters will be in your mailboxes, so pick those up if you haven't. Uh, we will also need choir singers for Harvest Home special music, uh, and practice for choir will be after worship next Sunday, leading up until the 15th on Harvest Home. Uh, also a reminder that we will begin our study of the Augsburg Confession this Wednesday at 7. Um, if you cannot make it this week, but plan on coming in weeks following, let me know and I'll get you materials early so you can check all of that out. Um, however, consider coming. It'll be a lot of good discussion, uh, maybe on a topic you haven't really considered and studied before. I think we will all learn a lot together as we go through, through the Augsburg Confession. All right, are there any other announcements, prayer requests to share, anything you have for the congregation? Yeah, Gary. Have a prayer for the Charles Bowser family on his passing. Uh, his wife was a, a classmate of mine and Don Littmore's back in years ago, and uh, the funeral was yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we'll add the Bowser family. Right, if there's nothing else, I'll invite you to take a moment to prepare your hearts and minds for worship as we listen to the prelude.
congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let us confess our sins in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you, our God, word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may lie in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his Son to die for us. And for his sake, God forgives us all our sins. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ and by his authority, I therefore declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Almighty and eternal God, you show perpetual loving kindness to us, your servants. Because we cannot rely on our own abilities, grant us your merciful judgment and train us to embody the generosity of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. A reading from Jonah. When God saw what the people of Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed out to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is, this, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish, Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down, at, sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would, be, what would become of the city. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. 
But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And I should not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. The word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 145, verses 1 through 8. I will exalt you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. There is no end to your greatness. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your power. I will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty in all of your marvelous works. They shall publish the remembrance of your great goodness. They shall, shall sing joyfully of your righteousness. A reading from Philippians. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. For if I am able to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will, I will remain and continue with you for all of your progress and joy and faith so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of, worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I, come, whether I come and see you or I am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation." And this is God's doing, for he has graciously granted you the privilege, not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that I saw you had, and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. According to St. Matthew, Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three o'clock he did the same, and about five o'clock he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, 
each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Invite you to be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, sometimes there's a misunderstanding about the parables of Jesus. So sometimes it's believed and understood that Jesus taught in parables to be relatable. Right? When hearing the parables, some think that Jesus is teaching gospel truth through folksy little stories, stories that will speak to simple, uneducated country people like the disciples. Right? Jesus is kind of being this folksy, cheerful little teacher telling cute little stories. But we have to remember that in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't actually use parables to clearly proclaim the good news of his gospel. In fact, in Matthew 13, Jesus says the opposite. In Matthew chapter 13, the disciples ask Jesus, why do you teach in parables? And Jesus answers them, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. In other words, Jesus gives parables to obscure. He gives parables to obscure the kingdom from those who do not believe that it has come through him. For those the Holy Spirit has given ears to hear, however, the parables show us the kingdom. But our hearts of flesh will always hear the parables and at first will resist them. There's part of us that hears the parables and part of us that will say, this parable doesn't make sense. And so the parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, I think is the perfect example of this. When we hear this parable, I think our first reaction is to close our ears to the gospel. Because what the parable tells us is that the kingdom of God is not fair. We are all going to immediately side with the workers who worked hard all day as the sun beat down on them. Certainly, they deserve more pay than the workers who stood around idly all day and showed up for work on the final hour. Right? When we hear this parable, our instinct is always to put ourselves in place of the first workers who've worked all day and now are getting gypped. But Christ is going to point us to something different in this parable. And so we see that this parable parallels even the parable of the prodigal son. In the prodigal son, the younger brother demands his inheritance, as you remember, and then he loses all of his inheritance through immoral living. His father then celebrates his son's return, and he throws a big party in his honor. And all the while, the elder son, who dutifully had stayed home for his whole life, 
and worked responsibly and helped out his father and pitched in around the house, he complained about how unfair it all was. Why does this immoral, wasteful son get to party? And part of us hears it and we think, doesn't he have a point? Don't the workers who worked all day and now are complaining have a point? Really, aren't some people just more deserving than others? And so Jesus answers this question for us, and he answers it, no. No, they don't have a legitimate complaint. In his kingdom, God is not concerned with our sense of fairness. This is what we have to hear over and over and over. The kingdom of God is not about fairness. The late Episcopalian priest and writer Robert Capon writes, This parable is about a grace that works by raising the dead, not by rewarding the rewardable, and it is about a judgment that falls hard on those who object to that kind of grace. This parable is, in fact, a parable of judgment and grace, because to the complainers, to those who murmur against God's favor toward those who sat idly all day, God loudly says, so what? God is in the business of raising the dead, not handing out first place trophies. Likewise, God's grace is not about giving everyone a participation trophy. It's not about how everyone has tried their best in a difficult world. Those who were idle all day aren't being rewarded for not working. The parable is not about good moral people getting recognized for their decent, upstanding, hardworking lives. But the grace of God is about taking sinners, forgiving them, and making them new creatures altogether. If you believe that the good news of Jesus coming into the world is about counting up and balancing your good deeds to prove you're worthy of God's grace, then you're missing the point. You don't have the gospel. The parable warns us against presuming that we deserve anything from God, especially that we deserve the grace of his forgiveness. And this is exactly how the parable can be used as law against our own flesh. Because we'll always be tempted to look at how good we are, or how good we're doing in this world, and believe that that makes us right before God. Right, God, I go to church every week. God, I'm pretty generous with my money. God, I don't live like those drunks and adulterers down the street. God, see how much more I do for you. See how clean I live my life. And turning to God and pointing to how good we are is always going to be a spiritual disaster because it's pride. And when you put your trust in yourself, your trust in your own goodness, every time you fail, every sin will make you believe that you are far from God's grace. Your pride will lead you to despair. Instead, God wants us to put our trust and confidence in him alone, to look to his mercy alone, and not to ourselves. He wants us to have a sure hope that comes from outside of ourselves. Your hope has to be in Christ alone. That's the unshakable hope in this world. That's the unshakable hope of the gospel. And so for that reason, this parable warns us against presuming that somehow we deserve more than others who are forgiven. Because in the Christian language, grace and deserving do not fit together. When we try to confront God like the workers who worked all day and said, God, I deserve to be rewarded, then we forsake his grace. We forsake the depth of our sinfulness, our need for mercy. And in this, you are not so far from all the sinners 
that we might compare ourselves to. Because all of us are nothing apart from God's grace to us. We're all on our own deserving of hell. We're all deserving of punishment. For all of us universally, there is no hope but what Christ has done for us. We find ourselves in judgment when we hold on so dearly to what we believe is fair and not to the gospel of the free gift of our salvation through Christ. In fact, the gospel, as Christ shows us, shatters the balances of the ledger books of morality. The gospel annihilates the accusations of the law against the believer, and instead the gospel saves sinners. It doesn't count up your sins, but it lays your sins on Jesus Christ. And whether you began working in the first hour or you began working in the last hour, you will never work enough to pay off the debt that you owe God. Because the debt of your sin is bigger than the national debt, which I've read grows by over $5 billion each day. Your debt of sin is insurmountable. You cannot do enough good works to justify yourselves. And in this way, all of us are in the same boat together. Whether we began working five hours ago, whether we began working eight hours ago, it makes no difference. We're all in a debt that we cannot pay. We're all in that same boat. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to pay the debt. Because of Christ, your debt is forgiven. And this is how the Holy Spirit invites us to hear the parable this morning. Because there's part of our hearts of flesh that will scream, that's not fair. Our hearts of flesh will want to make ourselves like God. We'll want to be deserving. We'll want to put our confidence on ourselves and believe that we can save ourselves. But what the Holy Spirit leads us to hear is that fairness is not in our vocabulary. You don't want fairness. You don't want deserving. You want grace. So forgiveness is the word that the Holy Spirit gives to us. Forgiveness is in our vocabulary. For you see, what this parable shows us is that when Christ has come, he has come to make the workday over. He has come to punch us all out of work. He has come now to invite us all to the weekend party. Again, quoting Father Robert Capon, the kingdom of heaven is Miller time. It's celebration. The work for us is over. Earning our way is done. The economy of the kingdom of this world is coming to an end. And what remains is the kingdom of grace. In this kingdom, there's nothing for you to prove. There's only God's forgiveness and grace. In this kingdom is the assurance that God loves you, that he has made you his own. The parable of the workers in the vineyard is an invitation to celebrate. It has nothing to do with fairness. Instead, it has everything to do with God's generosity. God has set us free from trying to count up our works, trying to live up to a standard that will get us to heaven. And the parable is an invitation to trust in God's mercy alone. It's an invitation to a party of which you are not worthy, but to which Christ has secured you a place. Instead, through Jesus Christ, God is merciful to you. The work week is over. In the kingdom of heaven, it's five o'clock on Friday. It's time to stop working. And in God's grace, it's time to stop trying to earn a place. It's time now to rest in what Christ has done for you. That's where we place our hope. 
not in fairness, not in deserving, but in grace, and God's free grace to sinners like us. Amen. Together, let us stand and confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole Church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. O Lord, grant that we would rejoice in the light of Christ and his salvation, and that sinners would find refuge in his mercy and comfort in his forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, embolden our congregation and all sister churches throughout the world to confess the truth steadfastly and to witness boldly to the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful Lord, we give you humble thanks for instituting the estate of holy marriage and for the blessings of family. Grant that these gifts would be cherished and honored among us and in our society, and especially within the household of faith. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty Lord, bless this nation and all people in their rightful callings. Grant that we may serve our neighbors in love, and that all authorities would exercise their callings with humility and wisdom on behalf of the defenseless. Especially give wisdom, strength, and health to our President Joseph, our Congress, our Governor Richard Michael, our legislature, and to all judges, so that they may lead your people according to your will. Lord, in your mercy. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of health. And now hear our prayers on behalf of the sick, the aged, the infirmed, the grieving. Especially we lift up to you Wes and Matt, Charlie, Jane, Nancy, Nancy, Steve, Max, Rose, Barb, John, Brandy, Marilyn, Virgil, Tony, Carolyn, Amanda, and for those who now grieve Charles. Grant them healing in accordance with your will and the grace to sustain them in their time of need. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the witness of the faithful who lived and died in Christ. Grant that at the last we too may be joined with them in the marriage supper of the Lamb in his kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you always.
us pray. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, and with them we offer ourselves to your service and dedicate our lives to the care and redemption of all that you have made. For the sake of him who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever.
in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you.